Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. Jesus appeared before them when the doors were shut in his new resurrected body. He said, peace be to you. And then he said to Thomas, reach your finger here and look at my hands and reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said, my Lord and my God. Because remember, he was doubting before. But now this second time, eight days afterward, now he sees him and he's touching and handling the very word of life, Jesus Christ, post-resurrection in his glorified body. And Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed, but blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. And that's exactly what these believers, many of them had never seen Christ in the flesh. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Truth in Christ Radio. Today, Pastor Rob finalizes this part of 1 Peter by explaining how, even though we are not able to see Jesus but still believe in Him, we will still reap the benefits of everlasting life with Him. In Hebrews 11, verse 1, faith is defined this way. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. As believers in Jesus Christ, we truly believe He is our hope, even though we are unable to see Him. We know Him through His Word. Let's join Pastor Rob with today's study of His Word. And our God is able to deliver us out of your hand, and anything you can do to us, He is able to deliver us. And if not, so be it. We burn. (laughs) Can you imagine that? We'll burn. And you know what? Desperate. In their hearts, they're like God. They, they totally cast themselves upon him. And you know what? That is the time when God shows up, when we are complete in desperation. We're just like, God, if you don't do this, we fry. And you know what? We love you so much that even if you allow us to die, it's fine with us. And you know what happened? They, they turned that oven up seven times hotter. They made that thing just practically cracking. And they threw him in there. And who was, in the, who was that fourth person? Nebuchadnezzar looked was able to discern there was four people in there, and why aren't these guys frying? And they even put coats on them. They were like human candles. They put fur coats on them and all this stuff, all this stuff, and their turbans and their scarves and all this stuff. They were going to be a walking marshmallow. They threw them in there, and finally they're like, they're not burning. In fact, they look, they're doing pretty good. What's going on here? So Nebuchadnezzar calls them out. Not even the smell of smoke was on their clothing, but only the ropes that were tying them, hand, you know, binding them, those were the only things that were burned off. They didn't even have the smell of smoke on them. Have you been in a, a campfire? Had an opportunity many times this summer to be camping with our friends. And let me tell you, my sweatshirt smells like a campfire until we wash it, and even then there's a hint of it. 
And we're not even in the fire, just next to it. A faith that cannot be tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. But these three youths put their faith on display, this trial of their life. They put it on display, willing to yield their bodies, even to death. And I love how God responded. He could only do what he would desire to do. When he sees faith like that, man, God shows up. And you know, sometimes when that's all you have, in other countries, that's all many of our brothers and sisters, that's all they have. They don't have the things that we have. And, and we don't need to feel guilty about that, folks. We live in a blessed country and, and take that blessing and give thanks to God for it. And, that, and that's good. We should do that. But when you've got nothing or when you're up against a wall and you're completely surrounded and there are no other alternatives and you cry out to God, you better believe he's going to show up. He loves to show himself strong upon people who love him, that believe in him. William MacDonald says this, he says, When prevailing conditions are favorable, it might be easy to be a Christian. But when public confession of Christ becomes or brings persecution and suffering, then the casual followers drift away and are lost in the crowd. A religion which costs nothing is worth nothing. Faith which refuses to pay the price is spurious. It is the kind of say-so faith that James condemns. Remember, James that we just finished not too long ago. He said, faith without works is dead. You know, And so let God increase your faith. And you know it's there for the asking. You can ask, you can say, God, increase my faith. Increase my faith, Lord. And sometimes even when you don't ask, he brings situations in your life that cause you to grow in faith. And I'm so glad for that. He knows what's best. Never fear him. Never, never be worried that God is going to um, hurt you on purpose in, in a sense of, being mean, when he allows something that challenges you, that perhaps brings you to an end of yourself, it's only to refine that fire, to refine that faith so that he can take the skimmer and he can skim the dross off the top and say, wow, you're amazing. When you're in my kingdom, the rewards that you're going to get are great because we know that there are rewards let me just read one verse to you. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9, it talks about this Bema seat judgment. that we've, we've already talked about this. But in context here, in verse 9 it says, For we are God's fellow workers, Paul speaking to the Corinthians. He says, You are God's field, you are God's building. According to the grace of God which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on this foundation with gold and silver and precious stones, wood or hay or straw, each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it. Meaning the day that we stand before Jesus, believers standing before Jesus, our works will be tried of whether they were of him or whether they were just wood, hay, and stubble that are just going to be burned up. If it's gold, silver, or precious stones, they're going to remain. But anything that was done in my flesh that I thought, you know, I'm going to do this for the Lord and it wasn't of him at all, those works are going to burn away. But notice, here's the encouragement. For the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test each one's work of which sort it is. And if anyone, anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. This is the Bema Seat judgment. 
not a judgment of salvation, but of what you've done in the body since you've been saved. And he will receive a ward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved. Notice that. To me, that's the encouragement. That even if I get to heaven and I've got nothing, <laughs> I'll be saved, yet so as through fire. I'll be saved, but all my works will burn up. And you know, you may think to yourself, well, I don't really care as long as I get there. But you know what? I think we're going to care. When we are standing before him, with everything that we've done since we've come to Christ, those things that we have done are going to matter dearly to us because all of a sudden we're going to have the realization that every, my whole life, here I am, and this is the summation of all of it, Lord. Everything that I've done, and wouldn't you like to be able to, for the Lord to pull out a book and, or, and, and to look, read the list and go, my, my. You heard my voice here. You heard my urging here. You responded to my voice here. You did this. You did that. You did that. You did that. And he starts heaping on the crowns, and you're like amazed, and you're crying. (laughs) It's going to be a big deal. It's going to be a big deal then. It may not seem like one now, but when we stand before him, it will be a big deal, I can assure you. In verse 8, it says, Whom having not seen you love, though now for a... uh, for you do not see him. I'm sorry, let me re- re- read this. Whom having not seen, you love, verse 8, though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. You know, in John's gospel, Jesus said the same thing to the disciples uh, after his resurrection. Jesus appeared before them when the doors were shut in his new resurrected body. He said, peace be to you. And then he said to Thomas, reach your finger here and look at my hands and reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said, my Lord and my God. Because remember, he was doubting before. But now, this second time, eight days afterward, now he sees him and he's touching and handling the very word of life, Jesus Christ, post-resurrection in his glorified body. And Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed, but blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. And that's exactly what these believers, many of them had never seen Christ in the flesh. Verse 9, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Of this salvation, the prophets have inquired and searched carefully and prophesied of the grace that will come to you. If you notice in Matthew chapter 13, beginning in verse 10, let me read it to you. Even the prophets wondered about all of these things. They were prophesying. God was giving them direction. They didn't have full understanding. Can you imagine writing something that you don't have the full understanding? It's one thing when your boss tells you, dictate a letter for me, and you're writing the letter, and you understand everything he's saying. It makes total sense. But now someone else comes along and starts dictating stuff to you, and and it makes no sense to you. It's something that's foreign to you. You can't even imagine the things that he's writing. You're like, are you kidding me? And that's the way many of the prophets were. They were obedient to write. As they were inspired by the Holy Spirit, they wrote these things down, not having complete understanding of everything, wondering, and we'll get to that. But notice what it says in Matthew 13, beginning in verse 10. It says, And the disciples came to Jesus and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered and said to them, Because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For whoever has, to him will be given To him more will be given, and he will have more abundance. 
But whoever does not have, even that which he has will be taken away from him. Therefore, I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. And in them the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, and here he quotes from Isaiah, Hearing you will hear and shall not understand, and seeing you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I could heal them. And here's the verse, But blessed are your eyes for, the, for what they see, and your ears for they hear. For assuredly I say unto you that many prophets and righteous men desire to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. But notice, blessed are your eyes, blessed are your ears, for you have seen and you've heard the things that the prophets haven't even, uh, haven't completely grasped. And in verse 10, he says, you know, of this salvation the prophets inquired, and they searched carefully who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. And so you think about it. All of these um, men who have written down, you think of Isaiah. You know, we don't have time to go there. I'd write these scriptures down because these are the things uh, that were written beforehand of the sufferings of Christ. The prophets didn't even quite understand what this was all about, and they didn't understand the timing of it. Isaiah, when he wrote this, seven years had to transpire before Jesus would even be born in the flesh. He existed always. He's the Word of God who became flesh and dwelt among us. He's the Logos, the representation of God Almighty. He ever lived. He ever lived. He's never ceased to be alive. He is the uncreated one. And yet, 700 years before his incarnation that we're going to celebrate in a couple days, the sufferings of this baby, this young child who would come and, and be called the, the, the anointed, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. Isaiah 53 records for us the suffering servant who through his stripes we would be healed and the chastisement of our peace would be upon him. And he would be bruised for our iniquities and with his stripes we are healed. With his bruise we are healed literally. When Jesus was on the cross, there was, one, there was one stroke that did the job, and that was when God says, I turn my back on my son. For one moment, for a time, God the Father turned away from his son, who was bearing the sin of the world on his shoulders. The Bible says that his soul became an atonement for our sin. Can you imagine the horror of that? He's never known that separation ever, Eternity passed. He's never known it. And now on the cross. That's why he could say, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And that actually leads us to the next psalm. David, writing this psalm, a thousand years before Jesus was even born, writes of the crucifixion as if Jesus was on the cross in the first person. He writes this, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? They've pierced my hands and my feet. Crucifixion wasn't even invented until the Romans came along. Or the Persians many hundreds of years later, and yet piercing my hands and feet. Can you imagine David writing that going, I have no idea where that come from, Lord, but there it is. <laughs> he knew he was writing something about the Savior. And in Daniel chapter 9, verse 20, 
or 4 through 27, it says that the Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. He'll be literally suffer capital punishment, but not for himself. He would die for the sin of the world. And this is who. These are the sufferings of the prophets that were before and the glories that would follow. You know, we can look at, um, again, we don't have a lot of time here, but let's just look at a couple of things. Certainly the glories that would follow his death on the cross. What about his resurrection? Psalm 16 quoted or um, foretold his resurrection. Notice what it says in verse 8 of Psalm 16. I have set the Lord always before me, and because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. Therefore my heart is glad and my glory rejoices, and my flesh also shall rest, here's our word, in hope. In hope, for you will not leave my soul in Sheol, the grave. Some Bibles translated hell, but it's the grave. You shall not leave my soul in Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. Jesus didn't lie in the grave and see corruption because he rose from the dead on the third day. And what about in the millennium? This thousand-year reign of Christ, the glories that would follow, that would certainly include those. We don't have time to go there, but look in Ezekiel chapter 47, verses 1 through 12. It talks about this new temple that's going to be built in Jerusalem. And that it says that the waters are going to come out from the threshold of that temple. And it's going to go, the water is going to flow down to the uh, west, into the Jordan Valley, down into this, uh, the Dead Sea. And the other part's going to go down toward the west and go into the Mediterranean Sea. But this part will go down to the east, down into the Jordan Valley, down into the Dead Sea, which I don't know if you've been there, but it's 37% salt. (laughs) Nothing's live there. Nothing's living. And yet this water in the millennial rain is going to make that Dead Sea fresh again. And it says in chapter 47 there that fishermen are going to be mending their nets along the the coast there in En Gedi. If you've been to Israel, you visited En Gedi with us. Fishermen are going to be mending their nets because the the fishing is going to be so good there in the millennial reign. Isaiah chapter 11, there's a lot of great stuff in there. I'd encourage you to check that out too. Verses 1 through 10 specifically. And we already spoke of uh, the other scriptures. In verse 4, we talked about Matthew chapter 6, verses 19, about the treasures in heaven and the new heavens and the new earth. Certainly those are glories to come. So many layers of this thing. Isn't it amazing that you as a child of God are going to experience all of them? First the rapture, then the time with him, the marriage supper of the Lamb, coming back, spending a thousand years with Christ in, physical, in, in different bodies. A new heavens and a new, new earth being created. New Jerusalem coming down. Only those who are believers are going to be in that place for eternity. And he says in verse 12, To them it was revealed that not to themselves, but to us, they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which angels, notice, desire to look into. In other words, these things were given to the prophets. The prophets gave them to the the, the people. And now they're sharing these things with the believers. Those things that have been mysteries even to the prophets. And you know, it's interesting to me that, you know, angels are not omniscient. They're created beings. They're not omniscient like God, and they are still learning about this grace and mercy and the forgiveness of God towards sinners. They don't understand that because they've never, they, they've never been the recipient of that. 
So when they look down and, and they're, they're seeing a wretched sinner like myself coming to faith, they're like, Lord, why would you even... Oh, there's no value here. <laughs> why would you do that? Look what he just did. He did it again. And now look at him. He's doing it right now. Things which des- angels desire to look into. William McDonald said this about this verse, and I, I really liked it. He said, but as far as we know, there is no redemption for angels that have fallen. No redemption. Christ did not come to intervene on behalf of angels, but on behalf of Abraham's descendants. And the church is an object lesson to angels, setting forth the manifold wisdom of God, but it is not for them to know the joy that our salvation brings. They're scratching their feathers if they have wings. I don't think they do, but if they did, they're scratching their heads, they're scratching their feathers because they're like, what is going on here? These people, they don't understand. They've always dwelt in the presence of God. They're wondering. They're looking down. And can you imagine the jaws of those angels that are dropping when someone like Nebuchadnezzar would come to faith? There are so many horrible, despicable sinners in history that at the end have given their life to Christ. We may be surprised when we get to heaven and we realize you're here? <laughs> you can almost hear one of the angels coming up next to you and say, you're glad to be here, too. You should be glad to be here. You know, but you look and you're like, you, you know, Nebuchadnezzar. Chances are we're going to see him. And so, at this time, we are going to take communion. And you know, there's never a better time than just right before Christmas just a couple of days. This is a great time to do it because we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. But his birth was brought out because of the mission that he and the Father had planned out way before man and the earth was even created. Jesus was born to die. He had to die. He was the only one who could pay the price for the sin of man. And so as we, as we take the, the elements this morning, as we take the bread and the cup, remember that this baby who was born in Bethlehem, meek and mild Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, remember that he's also coming back as the Lion of the tribe of Judah in vengeance upon a world that has rejected him. But guess what? He loves you. And we take this in remembrance of him. In fact, in Revelation it says, in the verse in Revelation chapter 13, beginning in verse 8, it's speaking of the Antichrist, and it says, All who dwell on the earth will worship him, speaking the Antichrist, whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world. That means from God's perspective, this baby that was born had to go through this process. He had to be crucified. The prophets foretold it, and behold, it's upon us. They foretold of this one who would come, be incarnate, but ultimately would have to be put to death on the cross. It had to be. It's the only way. Jesus says, I am the way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father except through me. Only through the sacrifice of Christ are we looked upon with righteousness, because God looks upon you and he no longer sees your sin. He sees the blood of his son covering you. And just as it says in Isaiah, 
Though your sins are as scarlet, I will make you white as snow. Make you white as snow. It was the greatest rescue mission ever. This great hero of ours, Jesus Christ, coming for us. I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today. But please join us next time when Pastor Rob continues our study in 1 Peter. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office. And that number again is 585-586-3140. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, ministry and contact information, our location and service times, and much more. You can even download the radio and sanctuary messages in MP3 format free of charge from the resources link. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester Sanctuary Messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Play or Apple Podcast. We are so glad that you could join us today, and if there is any way that we could bless you in your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.